0: We've, we've got to change a lot of people's perceptions of South Africa because you know their general com- consumers will think of South Africa as being a commodity producer you know industrial quantities of Chenin Blanc and, and Pinotage in its worst possible form mm-hmm. that's that's the the hurdle that we have to get over you also have to think that less than 1% of the wine-drinking public in the UK are prepared to spend more than £10 on a bottle of wine mm-hmm.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ex Animo Wine Co. podcast. I'm David Clark. Ex Animo Wine Co. is a wine distributor based in Cape Town. Please go to our website, exanimo.co.za, for more on what we do. The purpose of this podcast is to document the stories in South African wine. We are interested in how we got to where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. Thank you very much for joining us. We are in the middle of a government enforced lockdown here in South Africa, where the sale and movement of wine is at least for now forbidden. So to keep ourselves busy, we have decided to release a new podcast episode every day during lockdown. We are using the internet to record these podcasts and it doesn't always behave. Apologies for any issues you find with the audio. We've tried to make it as listenable as possible. Today on the podcast, we have Richard Kelly, MW. Richard currently runs Dreyfus Ashby, an importer based in the UK, specialising in South Africa and regional France with, a, as he puts it, a particular bias towards Loire after Richard earned his Master of Wine, he spent many years in the South African wine industry in the mid and late 90s working for Vinnie He returned to the UK in the 2000s and has continued to champion South Africa in his home market and has worked with some of the most important producers of the last 20 years. I wanted to chat to Richard about South African wine in the UK market and ask his advice for producers wanting to get into that market. Richard Kelly is a hugely respected authority on South African wine and I think you'll understand why once you listen to the podcast. I give you Richard Kelly. I'm joined by Richard Kelly, MW. Hi, Richard.
0: Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, spring has arrived in the UK.
1: Oh, nice, yeah. We've just got our first winter rains overnight here in Cape Town, so, yeah, um, the seasons are behaving as they should, and it's probably the only thing that's behaving as it should in the world at the moment. Indeed. Uh, thank you for your time this today. I really appreciate it. I wanted to talk to you about a few things. A couple of the people I've, I've interviewed on the podcast... Namely, uh, Lucas um, von Lokerenberg and Chris Arlite, uh have mentioned you uh, throughout their uh, episodes, and I thought it might be a great, a great opportunity to get to your side of things. I mean, you spent a, a long time in in South Africa in the 90s, and then uh, you work with, with South African wine in the UK market. So, maybe for those who don't know you, maybe just give us a, a quick brief, or as brief as you can, or you know, as long as you want, introduction of your life in wine and. <laughs> Yeah, just, just, just the greatest hits and probably the, the biggest momentous um, uh, things that sort of led you on the path that you are on now. And then we can go from there.
0: All right, okay. Right, well, I come from a fairly modest background. My parents were virtually two total and they never drank. You know, I, I spent most of my early years not really knowing what, what I wanted to do. I had no real direction. Um, I love cooking. So I was, I was actually a chef. I left school at 16. I was a chef for nine years. Um, and through that, I sort of got introduced to wine. So that my cathartic moment was with a bottle of Vouvray, 1969, from Domaine QS. So that was a bottle of wine that changed my life. That's the, that's the reason why I'm here. Um, so I entered the wine trade in 1985. Um, I went through the usual uh, wine education system, got to the point in the early 1990s where I thought, OK, I want to go for the master of wine now. And this was 1992. And in 1993, that 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 year, uh, the the institute introduced the dissertation into the syllabus. And so we were the, we were basically the guinea pigs for that for that first year. And in those days, you did the examin- You did the um, the dissertation before the examination. So we were given, um, and in those days, they gave you um, subjects. They gave you a choice of five different subjects to choose from. Nowadays, you can basically choose your own um, subject and have it sort of ratified by the institute. So. Um, they gave us the subjects in January one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-three, and they had to be submitted by October uh, in the same year. And then my I sat the examination for the first time in one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-four. So my chosen subject was the importance of temperature in red wine making. So, uh, given it was January, and the whole sort of idea behind the my dissertation would be seeing a vintage in in, in action um I, I needed to go to the southern hemisphere and i had been to australia the year before and i didn't really want to go back i didn't even know they'd let me in again um new zealand in the early 1990s barely had a red wine industry yeah and i didn't think i was going to learn very much in south america um and my then girlfriend had just who was a travel agent um came back from a, a, an educational trip from from, from, cape, from the cape and said well you have to go to south africa and i you know, during the 1980s, I, you know, although I've been drinking wine since all through the 1980s, I'd never drank South African wines, and that was primarily because, first of all, there was nothing available in the, in the UK because, obviously, the, the apartheid years meant nothing really got, got into the UK. And whatever I, I had tasted didn't seem to be, be particularly good. Um, so you can imagine, you're a bit like you, you're riding Cape Town, first time, this is um, March 1993. Mm-hmm. And you're just completely blown away. Um, Yeah, no, I
1: I had the exact same experience as you just say, but it was twenty years later.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know, having been to um, let's say Australia and California, pretty pretty well travelled in in a wine context. you go to California, you have to fight your way through two or three marketing people before you actually get up to the person you want to speak to. So I remember my, my first meeting, my first interview with a, with a wine producer for my dissertation was with Neil Ellis mm-hmm. and um, you know, you just, you just throw the guy up and he's there and he wants to speak to you. And, um, and that was basically, so I came to Slapper twice in 93 to do some studying. I sat the examination in um, 94. Um, I got a conditional pass. I made, I found my marketing paper, which um, was the one paper I should have passed, given I was supposed to be in marketing. Okay. Um, so that was passing basically, basically the whole um, uh, practical um, examination, which is three papers. And then all of the theory papers, papers and, my, and my dissertation was, was um, passed as well. So I had a one paper research in 1995. And so what I basically did was I gave up my job in the UK in January 1995. And um Lynn Sheriff, fellow MW Cape Weinmaster uh, basically put me in touch with a guy called Hoffi Hoffman at um Distel, well but what was then Berg, um the Berghelder. And the Burkhelder took on six international students a year. And I was I became one of those students. So I was, you know, with a with a guy from Austria, a couple of guys from Germany, another Brit. Um and so I just spent basically three months um uh, with with the Berghelder doing the harvest. So my first month was Um, out in the vineyard sampling grapes. Interestingly, given going back to Lucas's conversation with a couple of days ago, I I know Jakob Stark pretty well and and calling his so I got to know very well during the time that Burke Helder were still promoting their own own brands. Um, And a, a month in the cellar um and then basically did month with their sales and marketing team and that that sort of three months taught me two things one thing i didn't want to be a winemaker <laughs> um and secondly i wanted to get closer to south africa i wanted to be part of that whole rehabilitation process so yeah. in the time i was um in in the cake i met um Irene von holt um he's a you know fellow wine master Cape wine master mm-hmm. uh, and um she became my surrogate mother, to put it bluntly. Uh, I have a lot, okay. I have everything to thank Irina for. And, and she pay, basically put me in touch with Tim Rand. She said, he's the guy you need to speak to. Um, who was then, obviously, you know, he started Vinnie Mark, uh, with okay. Kevin and him and Kevin had just um, parted ways. And so um, I met Tim at VinExpo um, in Bordeaux in June 20, uh, sorry, uh, 1995. Tim said, okay, i would offer you like a six-month contract. Um, I did my one paper reset. Um, I passed the examination on the 17th, in fact, the city, city in front of me, the 17th of July, 1995. And Within two weeks, I was in South Africa working for Vinnie Mark. And this, this sort of, um, what was a six-month tenure turned into seven years. Probably
1: not what um, you uh, expected when you when you signed up for the MW program is to, to end up working in, in Cape Town uh, a couple of years later.
0: No, that was that was completely that wasn't the plan. Um, It's just the way way they worked out. Like I say, ninety five. I was just in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, You know, I firmly believe that you make your own look, but I was in the right place at the right time, Um, and that sort of seven year tenure just allowed me to be introduced to the whole let's say new. the existing generation of, 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 of winemakers in the Cape, plus yes. the new generation. You know, I met Chris Williams in 1995 when he was the assistant at Realist. Yes. Um, um, Andre van Rensburg, he's who's, who's still one of my best mates, uh, despite, <laughs> despite him being Andre, we're, 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 we're close friends. <laughs> uh, um, despite his best the, attempts,
1: are still good mates.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing was that, you know, I was, I was the only resident master of wine in the country. Okay, and uh, you can imagine that, you know, that that opened a lot of doors. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and you know, I was, I, I was referred to well. Actually, when I was studying, I was referred to as a BMW, which was apparently was a budding master of wine. And when I arrived in South Africa, I was a BMW. I was still a BMW, but mm. I was a British master of wine because they had to yeah. sort of um, uh, distinguish me from being a Cape wine master. Oh
1: yes. So yeah.
0: I, I, I almost, I found myself within a very short period of time of, of being, you know, someone, someone who's pretty I think, modest in the way that I do things. Um, you know, saying saying certain things in South Africa we always we didn't always go down too well because all of a sudden, okay, he's a master of wine, he must know you know what he's talking about. Um so anyway, I was there for seven years with Vinnie Mark. Um I was really, really brought in to help them develop their export business. Again, right place at the right time, 1995. It's the first year that Buchanos Clouf basically made wine. Um so I spent a lot of time with with Mark on the farm.
1: Yeah, I'm chatting to uh, Mark later this week as well. So that should be a good conversation. Okay. Or
0: yeah, so, you know, um, Mark and I go back a long way as well. Uh, you know, we even shared rooms in in Bordeaux in Expo and Expo and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we, we we know each other pretty well. Yeah. Um, so, yes, seven years at Vinnie Mark. Um, during that time, um, I met Rebecca, uh, my wife, um, who is isn't South African, She's Welsh. I had to go all the way to South Africa to find my wife, and then ends up she's she's British. Uh, we got married at Buchennecht's in October 1998. Um, the story I like to tell is the um, the Kloof 1997 Syrah was our wedding wine. So the handy wine? Yeah, yeah. It was unlabeled at the time. The labels mm-hmm. hadn't even been designed. Um, but I knew it was a fantastic wine. And I just said to, to, to Mark, can I can we have this for our wedding red, <laughs> which is probably why there was so little of it available uh, <laughs> after the event. Um, so, anyway, just working through, so, you know, I've obviously helped to develop Notes Clue for the first seven years and a couple of other wineries as well which were within the Vinnie Mark portfolio. portfolio. Um, and then uh, 2001, um, September 11th happened. Um, I was in Holland at the time um, when the whole thing happened. Came back to, to, to South Africa and, you know, the rand basically went from 11 to 21 within, you know, within about two or three months. So, I felt that my my tenure in South was probably up. I'd been there seven years. I felt I'd done as much as I could do within uh, within Vinnie Mark. Mark. have obviously gone on and done amazing things. Um, and um, I came back to UK. I'd, I'd been courted for for a while by a guy called Roy Richards at Richards Walford, um, who were a company set up in 1992 by Roy and Mark. Um, they're very traditional. Um, you know Bordeaux, Burgundy. Apparently, one stage they were the world's biggest buyers of grower Burgundy, and um, mm. Mark had all the right connections in Bordeaux. So that's that was the the, the the um the start of their business, the the core of their business. And I came in basically to um well to help sell and help buy. So I took over the buying responsibility for Northern France, which included Domaine Huet, so there was an, an instant um, emotional connection there. And they have things like Cota um, in, in the portfolio as well. So, you know, I, I was with them for nine years and, and just having that exposure to all of that new, the new generation of staff and winemakers um, in the time that I was living in the Cape, just seemed a logical thing to do to get those people into the market. So, you know, Chris, um, Chris and James from the Foundry, um, you know, Chris, Chris's first, which was 2001, the Syrah, so we bought the foundry into the UK, you know, got that going. Uh, even Sardi, I first met Even in 1998. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that Even was new talent in 19, in 2000 with his first vintage, but it's true. You know, so yeah. we we helped to break Even in the UK and people like Godfrey at Chamonix, um, you know, during that period as well. Um, so we just helped to sort of develop a whole new category for South Africa. And even though the, the feel-good factor was, was there post 95 for south africa the wines weren't you know the the, the balance was wrong the, the, obviously there was problems in the vineyards with things like virus all these things have to be put you know put um put right before you know we could be taken seriously and it's taken well you know my, my my period in south africa goes back 25 years um it's taken 20 years i would say to get to get the, the the press and the trade on site we still have a lot of work to do with the consumer um but um you know south africa is definitely the the hot topic so yeah, I came back to the um, to the UK in 2002. I was with um, Richard Walford for nine years. Um, they then Mark and Roy then sold the business to Berry Brothers, which is for those people who don't know, is the, the, the Queen's Wine Merchant, um, and a lot of um, everything that they they did was absorbed into into um, into berries. Um, but I sort of made my excuse and left before that. And a lot of the South African producers that i worked with um, elected to to follow me. Then in um, 2014, I had the opportunity to take over this old company called Dreyfus Ashby, Um, was a a company established in 1936. Um, And it was currently being run by a guy called Nick Clark, who's a fellow MW. Uh, Nick was the wrong side of 70 and he'd sort of taken it over when he was 52, which is what the age I was when I took it over. Okay, And, um, you know, he'd he run it right down to to nothing. But um, you know, I I was fifty two years old, and I thought, you know, I need I need to do something on my own now. I, I, know, I know I know all the right people, I know all the right customers. So it was, you know, it was basically my time. And the thing that inspired me was that one of my wine heroes, along oh, with Gaston Huet, is uh, Robert Mondavi and apparently he was 52 years old when he when he started the Robert Mondavi winery so I thought well there, there is hope for me yet. You're right, it's so, been done before. Um, it's been done before so <laughs> not, not too hard to, to get off and I thought you know I'm just fed up of working for people who who actually don't know what they're doing and I can do this better myself and you know we've, we've been around for six years now as Dreyfus Ashby and, and, and we, we're going from strength to strength despite all the, the current um, turmoil so right. what, what we do is um it's basically me and rebecca um the two of us we got we got two employees um but we we know we're very small we're very niche we only work with south africa and obviously with with uh, france with a bias towards the loire you know because of my love for shannon cabernet front base whites, as lucas yeah. was referring to so we are very niche we're certainly not a one-stop shop um but i'd like to think that we probably built up the most dynamic portfolio of south african wines in the uk uh, at, the, at this time and you know my my talent if you like is finding new talent and breaking new talent and as i said Eben was new talent you know 20 odd years ago as was chris williams mm-hmm. um you know we, i've worked with miles mossett since his first vintage although ironically it wasn't miles that i knew when i was living in the cape it was his late father tony yeah um so we, you know we've got some really interesting people on our on our books and every time i come down you know, I've got my ear on the ground um as to you know what's coming through and I'd like to think I'm generally first in the queue to pick up um pick up the new the new people, you know, the the, the, the worthy new people. And and say my having my ear on the ground, that's people like, you know, going back to my old connections, people like Angela Lloyd, yep. um, you know, Tim James good mm-hmm. friends with Kathy and Philip. So, you know, anything that's new in, in Platter that's coming through. I mean, Philip was responsible for telling me about Ginny Povell and her first vintage, you know, first Shenan in, um, I think it was 2008. You know, so I'd like to think am in front of the queue. Um, and then you've got your existing producers, I mean people like Chris Alhite, it, it, it was Chris who introduced, introduced me to Lucas. Um, he's also mentioned a couple of new guys recently, which is, you know, they're still very much in their early vintages. Yes. Um, and even people in order now as well he's doing a lot of mentoring at um, elsenburg mm-hmm. so you know he's putting me in touch with people like um um saki mouton uh, with his now second vintage Yeah. Um, and uh guillaume Nell from lysa we took on guillaume last year yes um, so yeah we we we, 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 we you know we've got the right sort of people i think as a as a business we share a lot of the same people as, as you do i think you do jocelyn don't you and, yeah, and yeah 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 so, I was, so I was, we've, got a, we've got a lot in common with, we're selling in different markets i was looking at the list so
1: that's what I, I mean that's where i wanted to actually get the conversation to go towards is the market that you sell into in britain is it a, a blend of on-premise obviously not at the moment on-premise but um and direct to cut um customer or off-premise what's your what's your mm-hmm. breakdown for the south african portfolio
0: Okay. Um Richard Richards Wolf always made the policy not to sell directly to restaurants. So we okay. um and I've sort of adopted the same strategy. So we we, we only do, we deal with a very few um restaurants directly and and they're because there's either a set and bias and I, I need to have an influence there, um, or it's just long standing uh relationships. You know, there's a guy called Tim um Tim Hart, who I've known Tim, you know, since the late 1980s, he runs a, a recently learned Chateau um, place down the road from us uh, called Hamilton Hall. Um, so that's a relationship I, you know, I, I I kept and then we'll, we'll do certain South African specialists directly. But we we do deal with a lot of Michigan style restaurants. Um, but we work through a series of, uh, you know, regional wholesalers to uh, who help facilitate it. So I might have a a direct dialogue with a with a sommelier and help to influence their list, but it's because we're we're a very small team. I don't have the time to dedicate, to basically, you know, selling to to the trade. Yeah, so we okay. work for regional wholesalers. Okay. Then we have a network of around about 150, 180 independent merchants um, around the country as well, and they you know everything from the north of Scotland right down to to Cornwall. So that's that's the basis of our business. We, we're fortunate in the fact. We don't, we don't have to sell to supermarkets or necessarily even the larger players. Uh-huh. Uh, we do a little bit with Waitrose, um, but for the rest we don't, we don't touch. The cost of doing business with them is just, it's just too, too high. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, we, we, we're able to conduct a, a, a workable, profitable business by just being good at what we do and having cool. the right wines. So and yeah, that's that's what we're doing. yeah. No Sorry, yep. we do a little, sorry, we do a little bit of international business as well. In fact, I sell a bit of wine, of wine back to to Rhodes and South Africa, and so a mm-hmm. um, few of his, his, his bits and pieces come come through us. Now, I just want to
1: talk about how you've managed to. I mean, obviously, you, you're, you said you're one of your talents, and uh, and uh, recognising and identifying talent and bringing that into the market. How how does the market handle this constant stream of new talent?
0: You find that maybe for the first couple of years, producers will. Because they're new, people are always looking for things that are new. That's either customers, equally the journalists. You know, they always want to write about write about the new things. So mm. year one, year two, year three might be quite easy. In fact, you might the producers can get quite complacent because they see the wine selling out in the first vintage, and all of a sudden want to put their prices up and, and you know think it's it's um, it's downhill from there. But um, um, but that's not the case. Mm. Year, year four, or year five are generally the most challenging. So, but first of all, you've got, to, you've got to find yourself the right sort of importer that um, you know it, that, that you, want, you want to work with. Uh, I, I get approaches every, like, literally every day from South Africa, yeah. And I was glad that I'm not—they're not targeting me specifically. They're just sending out generic emails, you know, just just a big net, just to see you know who might you know what what might stick. And, and generally, those, those emails just get consigned to the delete deleting into the into the recycling bin. Yeah, if they're um, not, not
1: personalized emails, I also um, no. tend to ignore them.
0: It's just it's incredibly lazy. But anybody anybody who takes the time to do the research, emails me by name, tells me a little bit about what they're trying to do, if I haven't already never heard about them, mm. I will make a point of going to see them the next time I come to South Africa. I'm in South Africa you know, two or three times a year. Yep. So that that's my policy. You know, somebody takes the courtesy to do it, I'll I'll take the courtesy of going to see them. Now, you have to kiss a lot, lot of frogs to find the princes, but that's that's what I do. You yep. know? So the hit rate may, may be you know one one in ten. You know, to okay. somebody that you can take on, even if I don't think I can, ha- um, I can take them on. I'll help them. I'll do, I'll do my best to try and find them. Somebody who who can do the job for them because it's equally just it's, we we only sell sell into a certain market. They yes. might need a. They might need a different route to market. Never, yeah. you know, their, objectives might be completely different from what we're doing. Yeah. So, so for, for example,
1: taken, if they, if they have a sort of a, uh, a more of a wine bar style wine, you probably wouldn't. That's not your your.
0: We're your style. We not going to sell to a wine bar directly. I think, yeah. Like very likely, we're going to sort to a wine a wine bar. Sell to a wine bar uh, directly. Yeah. But you know, I'll I'll try my best to find them the right person. Um, mm. and it might be a competitor, but you know. I'll, we're all all in this together, you know, we're, we're trying to build, um, you know, South Africa. So, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to, to help them get into the market and, and find a home for the wines. Yeah. But the wines are going to be good. Yeah. It? Yeah. Talk to me about
1: um, how you, uh, what's your selection? Do you have a sort of a, an overriding uh, theme about uh, or, or sort of um, selection criteria for, for, for bringing on a new producer into the portfolio? or is it um in the there's nothing, no, nothing yeah.
0: strategic it's just it's just it's just having good wines and obviously you know because of my love of shenan there's a there's a, a circuit of shenan also in our, in our list which is always mm-hmm. a bit challenging to find or trying to prioritize one shenan over another yes uh, the one thing i'm really con- uh, convinced about and this goes back to, again to the early days with even in nordia is, is white blends shenan uh, based white blends you know they proved to be a, a tough sell in, in you know from from the from the start but. I think that style of wine now is becoming; they're coming, Those wines are becoming identifiably South African, and that's that's what the real niche is. Um, I was going to really ask
1: you about that actually. Is the the white blend situation because it is a, a fairly unique to South African yeah. style of wine? Maybe Friuli in northern Italy, you know, but again, that's quite niche also. So, you know, the classic white wines of the world are, tend to be sort of single varietal wines, right. apart, from, mm-hmm. apart, from, uh, apart from maybe Bordeaux, a white Bordeaux. But I mean, how how significant is white Bordeaux in the market? I was going to ask you about, well, I might as well just jump straight into there. What wines are you finding easier to move and, and more difficult in that sort of white blend component? Is it wines with a sort of a, um, a proprietary name, like the cartology, where people can follow that name and rather than trying to get their heads around what, uh, what's in the blend?
0: I think the fact that um, you know Chris has always added about 10-12% cement semi-on into the cardiology. Yeah. people can see it as a I think more of a shennener straightforward chenin, rather than being a, a white blend. I mean, in fact, legally, you could, probably even, you could even call it a because- you know, Yes. Yeah.
1: As um, long as it gets through the, the sensory
0: panel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's usually my side of a good wine. So it's just failed. It yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> this might, this might have some character. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, There's been a few instances where I've had to write to um, the wine police instead Africa saying, um, actually, I, you know, I think this wine's really good and I'd like to buy it, please. Can you, can you please, you know, certify can you Yeah, I've,
1: I, I've also got a list of on, my, uh, on my laptop as well of, of letters that I've had to write in. Uh, I'm not sure how, what good it does, but people ask for it. So. Well, they, they seem to get yeah. past in the end. Maybe, maybe
0: yeah. the MW initials the end of the interview name tends to... Yeah, maybe. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no there's... idea. Or maybe because maybe they know who I am in South Africa. But maybe that I... Yeah, they, they, they tear mine yeah. up
1: and read yours probably. <laughs> so the white blend is it? Uh, it's a very hard sell, I think, uh, in every market for South African wine, including in South Africa more difficult than, than the quality of the wine might suggest because almost universally people uh, who know their stuff say, look, the white blends are probably the best white wines coming out of South Africa with a few exceptions. But if you're going to lump in, talk in whole categories, that would probably be certainly one of the strongest and maybe Syrah would be a, a red version. It, it seems like it's, it's something that we're going to have to, as an industry, bleat on about and belt down the door with over sort of decades rather than years.
0: It's going to take a long time, yeah. um, you know, you have to be patient. I mean, you know, the first white planes appeared nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, people don't st- I mean, really just begin to uh, accept and acknowledge. My, my, pers- my personal barometer of success will be when they stick one into the MW exam. They're I see. think Then, then my, my job will be done. Not that I'm in part of the examination, com- examination committee, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, the MW- within the MW exam, they're not looking to try and trick anybody. Uh, they want, you know, classic examples of, their, of the wine that they're presenting and, you know, if they're expecting students to identify a okay, K-White blend, then, then that, that's great. That'll, that's my barometer for, yeah, for right. knowing that the categories are right.
1: Yeah, and probably similar for in the, in the Master Sommelier exam, probably a similar sort of... Um, thought process goes into it in terms of what uh, what the wines are um i had nicola clerk ms from uh, yeah, uh from armand on the other day and um yeah that was, that was a, i should have asked him about that that would have been a good question it's gratifying to hear that you say that the winds of change are slowly stirring in the white lens situation in the uk
0: yeah i think we've you know we've got a lot of independent customers a good thing about independence is they apart from most of them run their own businesses and they're passionate about wine mm. they you know, they um, they're in a position to to hand sell something. Yeah. You know, so it's it makes it a little bit easier when you've got somebody sort talking, talking to you on a one to one basis about, about certain categories. But like I said, the initial message was getting getting that message through to firstly firstly to the the trade and to the journalists before you yeah. even start trying to get any any response from uh, from the, from the consumer.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why uh, um, we any- we favour restaurants here is because generally you have that sort of one on one time. Um, yeah. rather than you're not faced with a wall of wine at a wine store where the prettiest label tends to tends to not win, but in terms of they get preference and, and, the, and the, the recognisable names get preference. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting battle. But, um, I mean, white blends is certainly a very, very strong category in the glass, but certainly not in the market yet,
0: unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's a case of being patient, and that's that's one of my other messages that I say to anybody who wants to sell wine in the UK, certainly through us, that mm. you have to be patient. You know, it doesn't things don't happen overnight. Yeah, uh, your reputations are not made overnight. In fact, the only example I would say more recently of a reputation being overnight is with Chris Alheit. I've, I've never, in 35 years in the wine trade, I've never seen from a wine go from nothing to something in in such a period of time. But that really is, you, you, in my experience, that is unique, and it takes a long time. It took 10 years to get even on the on on track. You know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, when 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 to it out, like, like the UK it took a long time.
1: Yeah. When I first started uh, arrived in in South Africa, 2013, I was working sort of part time for Neil Grant, who was the president of the Sommeliers Association, but ran um, sort of a, a wine bar pizza place. So I was helping him with the wine list, and I could we could three different vintages of Skerfberg directly off the urban at that stage. So it was still unsold wines from villages gone by. It's a very recent phenomenon that, that Yvonne has had no wine to sell after release. It is a, it, it took a while for, for people to catch up. But was there anybody else at that time for those sort of from the from the early 2000s to the to 2010 who was sort of beating that drum with Yvonne? Probably Mark Kent. I would have thought uh, was another person yeah, trying to just,
0: to bring yes, sort of the new wave
1: to. drum in South Africa.
0: Yeah, I, I'd, I I'd, I'd definitely cite even obviously Mark uh, within within that. Other 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 guys might be banging the drum, but they might might have been let's say employee wine makers makers like uh, rather than um, proprietors. Yes. Uh, but yeah, there will there would be a few I would say.
1: In terms of wine, the South African wine turning a corner. You said obviously it took you know 20 years or 25 to to get where we are. Uh, was there any sort of defining period looking back that had um, m- m- more um, rate of change than uh, in a positive sense than than others. I mean, I talk about the difference between my experiences at Cape Wine in 2007 versus 2012 being dramatically different uh, experience of South African wine. Would you would you agree with that? Or would you say it was earlier or later?
0: Um, that's one thing I'd have to think about. No, I'm, I'm thinking about it now and I'll give you a straight answer. Let's work it backwards. There's this thing that we, we did in, in the UK in 2015 which was the new wave tasting, which was basically about 45 producers. and I, I'm not going to take credit for for, for new wave. It was very, very much um, an initiative by, by Swig who are a you know, fellow importer. I mean, I they, they work with people like Ardy and um, Duncan Savage. Um, so it was there, it was their idea, but basically there was five independent friendly, let's say friendly competitors, um, importers who got together to create the new wave experience, um, because we weren't really happy with the generic offering that we that um, the UK was offering in terms of the of Woza. Okay. I started, this is where I started to get controversial. That's right. Um, so we we did new wave, and it was it was meant to be a one off. And to be honest, none of us could have expected the the reaction uh, that we got because it was just it was just the most amazing tasting. Yeah. And we, I think we all just sat back at the end of the day, thinking, you know what. And I swear, what the fuck happened to, uh, today? You know, it was just—it um, was just remarkable.
1: You didn't have any inclination before the event, put, was no, was sort not of, at all. We, we done,
0: we've we a really good job, I think, in promoting. Given the fact that you know we, we're five independent merchants, this is not our job. You yes. Know, we, um, you know, we're we, we, supposed to rely on people like you know your generic body to to, to do these sort of things. Yeah. So we did—we did it ourselves, and obviously we I think we did it well. But we also had the right people in, in the room. Um, you know, part of that new whole new wave generation that we talk about, mm. and it was only meant to be a one-off. And then the pressure was on so much that we did a, a second one in 2017, same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then last October, oh, sorry, September, we did we 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 did it again. And um, we, the, the interesting thing there was we went into the same venue that the first, we went into the first year, which is um, Poland Street, which is a uh basically a big white space um, below a record shop in in just off Oxford Street and uh, the first year we had it was just absolutely buzzing we had you know really loud music it was it was not you know it was not a your conventional wine tasting a trade wine tasting at all yeah. and then with um the last one the same venue they told us the day before that um there was actually a limit to how many people you could put into this space at any one time. So I think it's the first time ever at a trade tasting where we've had people queuing out the door for half an hour to get in, which <laughs> might, have, might have completely backfire, but if anything else, it probably sent the right message because for people were prepared to stand outside for half an hour. Well, well like the fact they were doing that, yeah, exactly. Like bounces on the doors, picking people in and out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was a bit surreal, but yeah, um, yeah if, um, you know, new, whether, whether there'll be another new wave, I've no idea. But the one thing that new wave allows is for me to bring in even more new talent you know, to yes. showcase the, the, the new people. And the, the, on, the, on the back of that, maybe a few, you know, few other people drop out because there is only so much we can do. And we were pretty uh, philanthropical about the way that we approached this because it wasn't just the five of us, the five importers. We said, OK, these these sort of guys also qualify as being, let's say, new wave. So we, we invited those in directly as well to be, mm-hmm. uh, to be part of it. Um, so, you know, we did we, have South Africa's best interests at, at heart. And um, I think that more recently has has, has, has created enormous interest in South Africa. And that has, I think, gone down to a consumer level as well. I understand the Dutch are doing their own new wave tasting this year on the back of what, what we've done. So that, that, for me, the first new wave was, was the, the real thing, the, the real first moment I felt South has arrived. Yeah. So the, but there will be uh, instances in the trade, I think, that would happen um, before that. And certainly, you know, Cape Wine, Cape Wine that year, 2015, was 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 really good. Yes. Um, I can't think of any Cape any Wine prior to that that's, that's um, and I think I've probably been to every one. Um, yeah. Apart actually, uh, 20, or was it 2014, I think, was it 2015, I didn't go to because we were just starting up a business. Yeah, so there was one in 2012,
1: there was 2015.
0: Yeah, 2015 I didn't go. Other than that, I've been to everyone, you know, even yeah. in my video series, yeah. maybe in But maybe 99 was the first one. Yeah. But we, yeah, I think probably the year before that, then the one before 2015, you felt there was a bit of, finally a bit of um, momentum.
1: Yeah, I think that was the one I was talking about, the, 20, the one in 2012. Yeah. I mean, I, I walked around the room, I only would, I wasn't here for wine in 2007, I was busy chasing my my now wife. Um, uh, at the time, I was principally here to uh, meet the family and, you know, spend some time with Jeanette. And I went to Cape Wine for one day and it was pretty dour, I have to say. The, uh, there was only two producers that sort of stood out at that time and it was Scarley, who said it was on, this, on the podcast before, and Yvonne Sadi was the other one that, uh, that I walked away and said, well, they're actually doing really interesting things and, and they're making South African wine rather than trying to copy what the rest of the world yep. is trying to put out so yeah. and then 2012 that is turned on and said that's where we first met as in as you say chris and susie highlight uh peter and Finlayson, uh a lot of the slutland guys more of the slutland guys so jürgen and, and craig at uh and, yeah it was it was 2012. that that yeah. was that was
0: special it was yeah. very special for like chris and suzanne because of the um, you know they're, they're, their wine had just broke julia harding who, who's sort of janice's right hand man had just made her wine of the week so, you know, it just completely casported their, um, their reputation. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was, that was the one I would say that, that actually did make a difference.
1: So, obviously, the trade is on board from what you're saying um, in terms of uh, uh, at least in the London, in London trade. Do, do many people travel down from London to trade to go to that um, new way of tasting? Is that, is that, does that happen in, in the UK where people travel down from other regional centres like Liverpool and Manchester and et cetera to come down to those things? Or it's it very out?
0: hard. You, you've got to think you can go to a tasting in, in London every day. You know, there is a, a calendar that you, you you work for, and you try and respect by not clashing your tasting with somebody else. But yeah, uh, you could go to a tasting. So it, it is, it's, it's, difficult for people in the provinces to come down to a tasting if they're a, if they're a one man band. You know, they're yeah. going to have to put somebody into the shop for a day and pay them, or they're going to have to close the shop. So you understand the problems. So yeah, I mean, we we had a lot of customers. I mean, we actually offered bursaries this year to certain people for New Wave to come. You know, get, get on the train and come down and see what we do. Okay. Right. Uh, um, yep. uh, we also flew over Bertus Asson to come oh, to yes. for um, So that was just to try and give give the third new wave a little again a little bit of a, uh, a different uh, perspective. You know, I'd very much see Bertus as being um, you know the, he's the he's the new wave chef of, of South Africa. So uh, we need, we needed, needed him on board as well. Yeah. And He came yeah. over. And did a really good job.
1: Awesome. Um, so yeah, what I was, what I was sort of getting at, I suppose, is it seems like the trades on board. What's the next step in terms of getting the drinking public uh, involved? Is it really um, through media, the traditional wine media in the UK, or is there any other ideas? Or what's your, what's the strategy going forward?
0: Right. We've we've got to change a lot of people's perceptions of South Africa because you know that their general com- consumers will think of South Africa as being a commodity. Producer, you know, industrial quantities of Chenin Blanc and, and Pinotage, in its worst possible form. That's mm-hmm. that's the the hurdle that we have to get over. You also have to think that less than one percent of the wine drinking public in the UK are prepared to spend more than ten pound on a bottle of wine. We as a company, I think we are, we we don't really have any South African wines that sell under a tenner. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're we're already appealing to a, a very a very small minority of, of consumers in the UK in terms of what of what we do. But I think what's, you know, what these the bulk wine producers have done is is and continue, is continued to under, undermine South Africa as a, as a as a quality wine producing country. And you might say that in some ways that's endorsed by by WOZA because of who their primary primary finances are. Yeah, wo-
1: WOZA go- are based around volume and not value. Yeah,
0: the, the only thing I strongly object to is um, is, is UK bottling or, or bottling outside of South Africa. Yeah. Because again that's that's only done for one reason and that is to make the wine cheap on the mm-hmm. shelf. Okay, I, I completely understand the um the carbon footprint part behind that, but that's not that's not the primary motivation as to why people are bottling in, you know, in the UK or, or in Europe. On my having worked so long in South Africa and worked during my years at Vinnie Mark with uh, Robertson Winery um out in Robertson, you know, they they, they could also make their bottling line overnight if they wanted to, and they could they, they could pay, literally put people on the streets because they are the biggest employer in the town. So I, from, from my point of view, it's more about social responsibility and trying to keep as much of that profit, much of that wealth in South Africa as possible. Okay, we have to make a margin in the UK, but... You know, i I would never ever consider um, shipping wine in bulk and, and bottling it um, here just to make just to make something cheaper. And that's that's the other issue we've, we've we've got to get over because you know there are you are you are capable of getting wines to UK at, at reasonable prices, especially with the rand where it is at the moment. It's, you know to make it to make it more attractive, but the consumer the consumer is all about price. Some of the you know the entry level con- consumer is all about price. My view is that. You may as well, they may as well be drinking um, craft beer or you know gin and tonic or soft drinks or whatever else from drinking wine because they're not they're not really the power target market i'm not even really sure that they're, their target market although Africa is a net exporter it needs to sell wine they needs to sell yes. wine overseas so um mm. it's a fine it's a finite sword. but that's that's my that's my view
1: yeah i mean i think i think woza has that issue and they, i think they recognize it as well they have this dual messaging problem in terms of they need to sell bulk to get their funding uh, but bulk wine sales actually hurt the, the fine wine sales in terms of messaging.
0: Yes, those consumers are probably not even you know, your target market. You know, in so, terms of what, what we do and you know, who, we, who we represent, we're not, yeah. we're not aiming to sell wine to, um, to um, what the French would call the grand surface.
1: There's a pretty low barrier to entry in terms of uh, making wine and releasing a wine in South Africa. I mean, you you can make wine, as you sort of mentioned or as you referred to, pretty cheaply here, put it in bottle, put on a label on it. That's part of the reason why you see such new generations coming through is because you don't need massive amount of capital to, to start a wine brand and start exporting in South Africa. No, uh, not at all.
0: Yeah. You, you look at a lot of people that we, that we work with, not very few of them actually own their own vineyards. You know, People mm-hmm. like you know Chris, yeah. okay, Chris Dalai has just bought his own vineyard, but, you know, the Foundry, Miles, mm-hmm. who else? Um, or Jocelyn. The you, like say, Lucas, you know, Lucas, you know, they're, they're, they're mostly yeah. buying group grapes. And that, that does expose you if somebody comes and you know, bids higher than you for the grapes for another year. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's become almost the... The thing to do you can you can start a winery from you know, virtually nothing so we start a brand from virtually nothing I'm, i've actually gone one stage further you know my, my years with Vinnie Mark taught me a lot about brand development and marketing so not most of our most successful South African wines are actually uh, labels or wines that we've, we've created ourselves okay. so, you know using like let's say um, the careers of Riviera who, whose wines we import anyway to do that another thing I've, I've developed which you may or may not know about is the called the liberator, which yes I started ten years ago, um, and that that that's what the French would call is a negociant label. I mean, you know, I don't I don't even have to have to make the wine. I'm just basically buying finished wine that just doesn't have a happen to have a home. You know, it's that it's all good wine, and even the best winemakers have parts of the wine that they have that. They, they don't know what they're gonna do with. It might be because it's an experiment or because it's something that doesn't fit into a blend or you know something goes wrong in a market and they're sort of all of a sudden they're, they're sitting with, with wine that they don't know what to do with. So that's the, the, my liberator brand is purely um, opportunistic. So that's just another way of looking at how to <laughs> how to find home for these Venus orphans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. otherwise they just get sold in bulk. Um, and they just yeah, disappear. They blend yeah. away.
0: I mean some of these things some of the parts of the buy for Liberator in bottle. Yeah.
1: Um but well, where I was going with the question or with the, with the conversation was, are some of these non vineyard brands starting to look too similar to each other and, and not of enough uniqueness about each brand so that they, they're a bit repl- replaceable in the eyes of the market?
0: Are you thinking variety in terms of well, their presentation or their story or even their price positioning? Well, all, all,
1: all, all of them, I think. Because, I mean, a lot of them sit in the same areas. I mean, there are unique parts about everybody I could think of and who is doing that whether it be a regional focus or a varietal focus, but there aren't a lot of varietal choices that one can make in South Africa uh, at that top level. I mean, it is Chenin yeah. and, and Chardonnay. Yeah, and
0: well, hard to say that you know, there's yeah, only, there is only so much £30 Chenin Blanc retail you can sell in the UK.
1: And there's, and there's more uh, and more of those wines that are sort of ending up in that price point with yeah. the same sort of, of story. A lot, a
0: lot of aspirational pricing is what I have to say. Yeah, that's that's my job to filter out the, the arbitrary stuff. Yeah. I mean, is it,
1: is it, is it, is is competition killing the, killing, killing the guys or the the reputation a bit? Because not everyone is sort of, there's no sort of breakthrough brand or breakthrough story that comes through. So it's a, you know, if I can't get um, one person's wine, I'll get their, their protege's wine. Who's also making, you know, a Shannon blend, but it's two thirds of the price.
0: Yeah. I would say there is some of that. You find the, the certain producers who, you know, we have we we have more probably Channon Blanc in our portfolio at a higher price than than, than we really need. Mm. Um, but having said that, you know, you're also trying to support the producers and, and 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 find a home for it. But it's it's difficult sometimes not to dilute what you what you have or just um, you know uh, compromise somebody one, one person's uh, listing for for somebody else because you've got some extra additional Channon to sell. Yeah, so it's, it's, for us, is trying to maintain a balanced portfolio. But like I say, if I find something that's really good, I'll leave. I will try and find them an um, uh, an importer that they can then go and work with.
1: And yeah, I do some some something. May,
0: he may, may be selling to the entree directly, which really doesn't conflict with us. But yeah, because
1: uh, no, I mean, yeah. uh, looking slightly into the future, perhaps. I mean, I see producers, the dynamic producers, who sort of change up what they're doing and change. Um, who are able to be dynamic and and be flexible with uh, with what they're buying and what they're making and what they're they're putting out? Maybe they'll move away from some of them will move away from the from the the Shannon story uh, just because it's it's being told so many times and it doesn't actually it's a repetitive nature in terms of oh no this Shannon's from a uh, it's a regional blend or you know it's from a special vineyard here and I've been making it for three years. I mean, and the wines are great. There's no, there's no qualms about the quality of the wine, but it's just, as you say, there's only so many um, high-end shannons that people will, will tolerate in the market. So I think the market will speak uh, eventually in the next sort of five years that some of these wines will either reduce massively in quantity in terms of bottles made uh, or in, in quantity in terms of labels made. And what they get replaced with, or what other angles that the the producers, because I mean, all of these producers, the new guys, are growing or trying to grow. They're not they're not at their uh, at a viable size yet, where they can just stay the same size and continue on. They all need to to grow, and that's that's in their sort of their plans of, you know, 20 growth each year for t- for five, six years or ten years um, to get to a point where it's sustaining as a business. And I worry that these guys. Will crash into each other um, eventually, and maybe it 's already starting to happen in a in a developed market like the u k is for South African wine at least that these guys are clashing already in the most friendly way, but in, re- in the reality is that there is only so many spots on wine lists for as you say you know a thirty pound Shannon or a sixty pound Shannon on a wine list et etc et etc mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah it 's going to be a very very interesting next period of Rationalising what people are doing and and what they end up doing, you know, a producer might look very different in five six years than what they do right now, because of that. Uh,
0: Yeah, there is the the counter argument would be to that that that's almost like the more shennings, the more high quality shennings you have in the market, the more of a global message or holistic message you're trying to convey to you know to the to the consumer or to to the trade or even to the journalists. Gary, Gary Jordan once said to me that, um, you know, in, in, if you go to Francia, in Francia, you know, there used to be one great restaurant, which was uh, the Francais, but all of a sudden it became, it became a bit of a destination because, um, you know, every other building was a restaurant. So people went to Francia because, you know, they, that was where you went to get good food. and It's almost like the same thing with, you know, having good wine. You've got, you got good Chenin, um, the more of you there are, the more of a destination you, you become, and therefore the more, be, the more you consolidate and strengthen the category. But that's, that's just a counter a counter view. Yeah, no, no, I I appreciate that and well aware of it. I think it's just
1: I think the the growth is going to be outstripping demand. Um, if I said that correctly, maybe I've said that back. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand
0: yeah. that. Yeah, I understand that. And just in franching, you know, restaurants. De- demand, guys, won't,
1: demand like, won't grow as 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 quickly as supply, which I'm a bit afraid of uh, for the for the for the producers because. As you say, I mean, most of them, if not all of them, are making pretty bloody delicious stuff. Curious. And on the red side of things, what are you excited about? Obviously, Cabernet Franc is your, um, you mentioned uh, your, uh, I have early. to say
0: Cabernet Franc, it is my, my favourite red grape. And, yeah. um, you know, I, the, the two, the stories I would tell would be that, um, when, in, in my time with, with Mark at and Clouffe was, you know, it always was seen as being, we want to make a great, you know, Bordeaux red wine, a red blend. It would be based on Cabernet Sauvignon. But, the more that Mark worked on the farm, the more he, be, he began to understand that Cabernet Franc was, was actually the more interesting variety. Mm. And at the same time, up at Pachamani with with Gottfried, I mean, they, they had this wine called Troika, which over a period of about five or six years, tasted, changed from being a completely sort of Cabernet sauvignon dominated blend to being basically more Cabernet Franc. And then to a the point that, that, that Gottfried was saying, you know, we, we should be doing Cabernet Franc Separately, the the, the the perception in uh, in South Africa of Cabernet Franc is that it's a Bordeaux variety. That's what people learn when they go to you know to, 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 to wine school. Yes. For me, obviously, my my reference Cabernet Sauvignon, at Cabernet Franc is is in the Loire. Mm-hmm. So, with what what Godfrey was doing at um, at his time at um, at, at Chamonix, um and then subsequently St Lucas at um, you know, with his cabinet with his Cabernet Franc. For me, they were much more. Loire focused, and I, I I made a point of convincing both of them that they should take it. They should not bottle those wines in in Bordeaux bottles. They should put them into into Burgundy bottles because it com, com, completely reflected what I what I I felt that the the wine should be, and that in in its own way gave them gave them a story, gave them a point of difference as well. I know Godfrey came up with, with a lot of resistance from the from the market when he when he chose to do that, but for me it was it was the the, the right thing to to do. So. Yeah, I think Cabernet Franc is a, a really interesting variety, and you, you know it's quite malleable. So you you see what, what Bob does, it just across the road from where Lucas is making his wine, and they're complete completely two you know two completely different styles of wine, but both both relevant. You know, people see Pinotage as the as the signature grape of, of South Africa, which I completely disagree. The signature grape is obviously Chenin Blanc, and beyond that, you, well you can you can't ignore things like Shiraz or the or the Mediterranean uh, varieties what are you getting most sort of um
1: most feedback from uh from the market in terms of what are people um uh, enjoying and asking for and and getting engaged with on the red side of things
0: i think because of the the, the area that we we work with we're less under demand to to to, to deliver let's say varietal white so yep. you know, we, we're finding um the red blends do work even even words um, wines that say grow go under a under a fancy name I, I, I the one that really comes to mind would be the granum from newton johnson um, okay. which, which has a you know small but dedicated following for a wine that you know get, is again pushing towards 30 pound retail yeah we, we're also less prone to that whole varietal thing and, and i do think that not just true of, of reds but also whites as well is you've, you've seen more more site-specific wines coming out of the cape as well you know there was a time when i was when i was living there that you'd find some sort of the large producers who would they'd be growing their riesling next to their their cabinet You know, they were they were a one-stop shop but they actually didn't really do anything particularly well because they had yes. everything but they didn't do anything as well what you're seeing now is obviously much more site specific wines so it's only yeah. you know pinot noir you go about five years you, you could fact, you could count the good examples of pinot noir from south africa on the, on the fingers of a mitten Okay, so now in the last five years, whether it's because there's new material coming in, better material, or because um, the, 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 the sites are much more conducive to Pinot, or winemakers have become much more capable of, of knowing how to manage what is obviously a very difficult grape. All of a sudden, there's, there's some really good Pinots coming out of South Africa. And mm-hmm. again, you, you know, I, I work with Newton Johnson, so I'm, I'm a bit biased to what they're, what they're doing. But you know, um, you know, I think Pinot is beginning to, to challenge Know, some of the some of the wines elsewhere and if nothing else when you you see what's happening with pricing in burgundy uh or even in new zealand then then it's, um, it's you know they're proving to be a, a good a good alternative yeah. and the one thing that people just to make this point now otherwise i'll forget it one thing that people are beginning to recognize with south africa is that you can get quality at every single level whether it's you know a 10 sub 10 pound bottle of wine or right up to you know 50 60 pounds with with um, you know so, the single vineyard wines from Eben or from, from Chris Alhite, they're all excellent value. They deliver excellent value for what they actually are yeah. in comparison to their peers, international yeah. peers.
1: I was chatting to Christian Eads a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said that uh, South Africa sort of lacks a quality wine label at volume to really penetrate the market internationally. Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, it needs a sort of a like a, a Penfold style producer. To really sort of give south africa a personality and um a, and a persona in the international wine drinking
0: world to, to an extent i would say yes and if you look at i don't know if you saw it that's last week there was um, some sort of top 50 of uh, most admired brands of wines nationally in fact like, I, I did see that it, yeah which i found really I, I had no idea what the source was at the time i, I know yeah. where it's from now but you you look at I mean some pretty random things in there i mean arbitrary things like you know what's the big california brand which you buy? <laughs> i've forgotten the name of hello uh, not, 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 not Bill, but um one of these you know things um you think how how's that in there and there's a couple of couple of south african examples one was Canon cop uh, yes. which was definitely in the sort of second half of the top 50 and and bruce jack as a, as a new entry Yes, um, but you, when you look at the top, the top wines. Okay, I can't really comment on the on the on the number one, which is Catena from um, Argentina. But if you if you look at the list there, you've got people like um, Torres, you've got Penfolds, and, and I, I was sitting with Rebecca over dinner saying, well, who, who would you be your top five international brands? And and to be honest, Torres and Penfolds will both be in there because, again, what I lot like was saying earlier on, just a moment ago, about South Africa is you you've got to be able to deliver quality at every different price point. And Torres certainly do that, and as do um, uh, Penfolds. The logical people in South Africa 20 years ago to, uh, or 25 years ago even, to fulfill that role, were at the time either Stellenbosch Farmers Winery or Distillers Corporation, now Distell.
1: Yes.
0: Because they had the resources to do that, or even the, or even the KGB, sorry, KWB. Yes. If you could have <laughs> done it. Yeah. But they didn't, they failed. And, you know, you, although Niederberg is a brand, is, is pretty enormous in in South Africa. It has no presence at all in certainly in the UK market. Um, it might be you know a, a big brand in Canada with with a monopoly, but it's it's almost like it's because you you up to sell one monopoly almost like speaking to a an, another monopoly. Yeah, that uh, seems like a business relationship rather than
1: a comment on the wines. Yeah,
0: but, so I, I understand Christian's point, but I, I would I would argue that and, and against it in some instances. And in that top 50, and again, I, I have a bias here, obviously, but, um, you know, what, what Vinnie Mark have done with, with Buccaneers Clouf and all the sub-brands mm-hmm. is admirable. You know, yes. so you've got you've got the actual Buccaneers Clouf brand itself, but equally you've got the whole thing, Porcupine Ridge, right down to Wolf Trap, all ex- exceptional wines for the price in those specific categories. For me, they're the, they're the ones that have got closest to fulfilling that role of being... An international, internationally recognised brand, mm. even if it's not under a single um, umbrella. Like, like Penfolds is an umbrella, Torres is an umbrella. People wouldn't necessarily know that Wolf Trap is made by those Cliffs.
1: Yeah, but I mean um, that, that Wolf Trap White, for I think it's, I think it's still under 70 rand a bottle retail in South Africa, is a proper wine. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's very, very good. I mean, I put it in the same sort of uh, quality category as something like Secateurs from from Ardy, which I think is one of the best retail wines in South Africa, for sure. And I've got a bias there because I send it to Australia. But there's a reason why I send it, because I think it's bloody good. Yeah, yeah no, I would agree with those two ones, for sure. But it, it, I think it's an interesting thought uh, uh, experiment, I suppose, to, to make. And as you say, those, uh, those big sort of ex-co-op concerns were best placed at this sort of the mid and late late 90s to, to really kick on and, and make something of it. And they, they unfortunately lost their chance. So I don't think that that's going to happen for them now.
0: No, I can't, I can't see it happening, but equally, I can't see anybody else coming into the market and, and, and doing it any better than, say, Vinnie Mark I've done. Yeah,
1: no, nah, fair
0: enough,
1: fair enough. We first met, I'm not sure if you remember this. Uh, yeah, I know
0: exactly where we met, Devon Valley Hotel that's right. um, um, in 2013, when I was invited to sit in, the, in an informal, yeah, I had an informal invitation to sit in on the five-star platter tasting that year. Yeah. I did use go for a platter when I was living in the Cape, but I told you I had to give that up when I came back to the UK. And so um, I was
1: obviously in the country for, I think, three months, but, um, and I was invited yeah. quite unexpectedly to come and taste for the Five Star as well. Having, I came out for 2012 uh, Cape Wine before I moved here in January. So I came out sort of, I think it was October or September um, the previous year, and I'd met Cathy sale then. And then uh, when I arrived in January, she forwarded the invite. So we met there, and I wanted to, to maybe ask you about Plato's Wine Guide. Obviously, it's it's still quite a big deal here. You know, five star platters, ones the ones of the year that platters awards do get sales immediately post the release of platter, maybe not six months later or nine months later. Is it a big deal in the UK market? Is it something that people follow?
0: I would say not. I, I made the mistake about buying about 500 platter guides two or three years ago, and basically end up giving them away. Okay. So that um, that probably um, tells you how much it means here. I but it's yeah. the same thing in, in any other countries. I mean, people you know the french rave about how their their wine got a gold medal in gold medal in macon or whatever else but it means stuff all here really i, I have my own views on things like wine, wine competitions and and dare i say some of the, the th- you know the uh, the third estate of wine journalists yes um, but um you know for, for me without sounding too arrogant too modest it, it's what i think rather than what somebody else thinks
1: certainly i'm not i'm not saying that you should base your uh, import strategy on points but in terms of moving the market and having an impact on the market that's probably where i want to take the conversation yeah no, um, i
0: completely I, I, I admire platter i am i know i admire mm. what they do i've i've, I've questioned the, the way that they certainly did some of the five-star tastings earlier on but i think that's now been, been addressed mm. um and i think it's it's a it's the best wine annual wine reference guide you can find in the world the amount of work and effort goes into that um is, is phenomenal um yeah, like I mean, ISO, you know it's on my it's on my desk every day even if i'm not necessarily looking at what's got five stars and what it hasn't it's it, you know i'm using it as my address book my email address book um yeah. my phone book my map book what's hot in in cape town restaurants so it does it certainly has a place and, and any and any wine scores or comments you know it's it's for me it's, it's a reference work. it's not um it's not a a, a definitive and in the same way where you have certain commentators who come into the market and and score wines on a hundred point system you know ultimately it's one man's view I mean, yeah, I mean
1: I've I've got a similar view on Platter being sort of a, a document of record for that for that for that year. Um yeah. Yeah. or you know a, a very detailed snap of 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 what was happening in South Africa at the time. And part of this podcast's um sort of grand very grandiose goals is to is to document the stories that platters cannot because of space limitations. As good as platter is and as a document of record, I think there is a there's still a lot of parts of South African wine that Remain untold. Uh, if you just relied on on platter, you mentioned other journalists or wine judges or whatever you want to call them scoring wines out of a hundred. So I mean, the most notable probably locally here is Christian Eads at WineMag.co.za, and then the other is Tim Atkin, who does a, a special report on South Africa every year. I think he's done three or four now. Is are those something that you that you use for? for marketing, or do you just not mention them at all? Do you use the tasting notes and not the scores, or is it- uh,
0: no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't really care what Christian and Tim back in things, I'm afraid. Okay. You now, might it. I guess I get, I get too vocal.
1: Yeah, no, no, fair enough. But I mean, in terms of moving the market and educating the market on South Africa, what, what resources would you suggest that people look for, or is it really all about contact with importers and distributors?
0: Yeah, I think that that's really the way forward. You know, I recognise the job that, that people like Tim does with his wine report. I just don't necessarily agree in the way that um, that he, he goes about it.
1: So, Richard, so if, if a young producer came to me and said, "Well, what I'm about to start my own wine brand in South Africa, what advice would you give them?" If uh, if they asked you the same
0: question, think twice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Are you sure?
0: <laughs> think again. No, but seriously, um, you know, I, I, I admire anybody who, who wants to strike out on the road. I think it's, it's a logical thing for most people to want to do. You know, you, you look at people like Chris Williams now, just actually, you know, breaking away at the age of 50 to do his own thing. Or yeah. like I did. I just completely sympathise sympathize with that, or uh, empathise with that even. You, you should go and do it. I mean, there's no, there's no question that you, I, would, I would dissuade people from, from doing it. As long as you believe in your own abilities... You, you're capable of making good wine. You think you've got your right grape sources. You're paying a fair price for for the grapes. Then then go ahead and do it. Think think about your your branding very carefully. I know Lucas uh, went into that in, in great detail as part of his interview. And you, and yes, you've got one chance of getting this right. It's very hard to, to to stuff it up and then and then and then change the whole the whole ship. Mm. So um, yeah, do it make sure you do your research for every for every sector of the market whether it's uh, well for every part of the process from sourcing your grapes make sure you make good wine make sure you know what uh, your target market know what your 10 year plan is um and know you know know where you want to be in 10 years time and when it comes to try and sell the wine just make sure you've done research you know where you want to where you want to sell it who you're going to sell it to so um you know people take you seriously when you um, when you're ready to to make that that, that approach would you suggest them
1: people that have uh, open to sort of changing that along the journey? I mean, obviously, if you have set out to make a uh, with a 10 year plan, I mean, that's a long time for a brand to be on the on one path or, yeah. or are, you, are you a firm believer that you have to start with the end in mind and be, and be sort of bloody minded to get to that point?
0: No, not at all. I think yeah. you, need, you do need to be reactive to the to the market, be opportunistic. That's what I do. You know, I'm very opportunistic in 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 my business, but still, I think you know the business has a 10-year plan. You know, we'll we'll react very quickly, and we're small enough to be able to, to 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 do that. So, no, if if an opportunity presents itself and you want to move in a different direction, that that's fine. I mean, again, if you if you, you look at some past history, you see how. Someone like Eben, where Eben started and how basically how he's changed his mind making, how he's, he's obviously got involved in certain projects which he's then pulled out of and you know, focused on different things. There's no, there's, no, there's, there's no real right or wrong answer to that. He just, yeah. just needs to, 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 to react to, to basically what the market or even what your customers are telling you.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice actually and a really good point about uh, Eben's journey because as you say, it hasn't, it hasn't necessarily been a straight line. What about sort of maybe some underappreciated styles that South Africa produces? I mean, for example, I didn't had no idea that brandy was such a huge domestic beverage before I moved here. And there's some phenomenal brandies being made in, uh, in South Africa that the world doesn't really know about. Even South Africans don't know about many of the top end wines or, sorry, brandies. Is there any other style or, or wine or, or spirits um, or beer that, uh, that South Africa produces that you think is underappreciated? In, yeah, in, in in, uh, I
0: would say there's certain things which are underappreciated. Under- under- I can't speak about brandy; it's not it's not something I, I know know the first thing about. But there's three things I'd mention straight away. First of all, port-style wines they are as good as anything you would you would expect expect of wines coming out out of the Dore Sweet wines. Which is a much maligned category anywhere in the world. They're are a, a tough sell, but I think yeah. you know what what South Africa's capable of doing, both in the terms of um, patriotized and passilage and even Fortified styles, are all world class. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, and uh, you mentioned this earlier on in the thing about white Bordeaux. You know who's interested in white Bordeaux? When you look at the, the 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 wines that Miles made at Takara, the the direct reserve white or what Andre's doing at Ferkel uh, with, um, uh, you know, with, with his white blends. They have, they're, they're world-class wines. And I, I know from a fact, because I've taken advantage of both of those for the Liberator, is that they, they may more, make more wine than they can sell. So they, they ultimately just blend the stuff they don't want away, which is yeah. where I come in. Love, I bought some, you know, for previous li- um, uh, Liberators. But, you know, everybody loves Sauvignon Blanc, but nobody really gets, understands Baroness you Sauvignon know, Blanc when it's blended with Semillon. So, yeah, um, yeah the, the, those, those white wines are as good as any, any Shannon's or Shannon blends coming out of the, the Cape as well.
1: Yeah, when I first arrived here, um, uh, the Steenberg Magna Carta, which is their, you know, uh, top-end Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon blend out of uh, Southern Constantia, was, you know, one of the white wines that you had had to have on, on wine lists. It was it was a staple, along with something like Jordan, Nine Yard Chardonnay, or, you know, one of the, the real sort of new classics. And then... It just quickly died a death. I haven't seen a bottle for years. I'm not even sure if they still make it, to be honest. No, I, think, so no, I, no, I no. Yeah, I, I think, I just think people stop drinking them. Although the price ceiling for for Sauvignon Blanc uh, from South Africa in the in the market's mind is just too low, or is, is lower than, than the price of that wine. And that's one of the, the issues with the with Sauvignon Blanc and trying to sell it as a premium product. It's just There's too much of it that gets sold uh, as, at a lower end, and that's 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 where the the reputation sits.
0: Yeah, and, and equally with white Bordeaux, I mean nobody mm. really in the UK buys a white Bordeaux. Yeah,
1: right. Even 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 you know the, the original.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough category, but those wines yeah. are as as anything else. Those there's three categories are as good as anything else you'd find internationally. I spent twenty five years living and working with with South Africa, or living in South Africa, working with South Africa. Um, I mean, all I would say is that I'm, you know, I'm very proud of my relationship with the, with the country. Um, I'm, I feel very fortunate again for being in the right place at the right time, and you know, to, to, to count a lot of these, you know, the, the most respected winemakers as, as good friends, and as well as you know, helping them find a market for their wines in the in the UK. You know, and for that, I'm 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 very grateful. I'm 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 glad to be living back in the UK, but. Personally, been you know, very happy to to have this relationship with with South Africa that I that I've enjoyed for twenty five years.
1: Yeah, well, I think that I think that um, that admiration is reciprocated in in spades. I mean, there's there's many people I talk uh, I talk to and who I count as friends now who who counted you as uh, their friend uh, before I uh, I was here. Uh, so a long, much longer a relationship. Who who view you as. An integral part of where South Africa is now, due to the, uh, your, your work and your time here, uh, but also your time back in the UK, um, beating on the joint of South Africa. So, I yeah. think the uh, I think I think the appreciation is absolutely reciprocated. So, thank you very much, um, Richard, and uh, and hopefully we'll we'll see each other soon. Thank you,
0: David.
1: Cheers, now. Great